bow down and worship him now. How great, how awesome is he? And together we will sing. Stand and lift up our hands. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down and we worship Him now. How great, how awesome is He! Together we will sing. Everyone sing. Filled with His glory. 
Temptation comes my way. And when I cannot stand up for you, Jesus, you're my hope and stay. When I cannot stand, when I cannot stand up for you, oh Lord, Jesus, you're my hope and stay.
have a living hope in Christ Jesus. Amen, church. How great the chasm that lay before me. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through your darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped and bear my shame. The cross is broken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living
Father, there's no greater name. In the name of Jesus, I'm just thankful. Thankful for your promises that we've heard today through our songs. Thankful for the voices that raised up in you that you worship today to you, and I hope it was pleasing to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Well, I get to preach today, pastors. You get the sub today, so let's not get rowdy. We're not watching a video or anything, so let's just keep it down, especially that, especially that side over there. <laughs> if you're going to follow along in the Bible with me, hey, buddy, you said you're going to sit in the front row. Good job, bud. <laughs> if you're going to follow along in your Bible, we're going to read mostly in Numbers today, Numbers 13. We're going to hit Genesis 13 at one point. You can turn to Numbers. Probably will be the nicest pages in your Bible, real crisp, clean pages. I don't know if you've heard a sermon from Numbers before. I think Numbers could be known as the is the, the, the Bible, the, the book in the Bible where yearly you read the Bible through and a year plans go to die, right? A lot of read through the year Bible plans didn't make it through Numbers, at least the first part of Numbers. Um, but we have, there's some good stuff in Numbers that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the 12 spies uh, that were sent into the land, the promised land. We're going to dig into them a little bit. <clears throat> Recently, I read a devotional by Alistair Begg a little while back called Guarding Against Unbelief, and it was on the 12 spies, and it was one of those, you know, you read a devotional once in a while, and you just can't let go of it, and I couldn't let go of it, and I've read more and more about it, and into this lesson, and here we go with a sermon. Kind of a background on this. Remember, God's people were, were slaves in Egypt. I'm drawing on my children's ministry knowledge here. <laughs> we got Moses coming down. Uh, let my people go, and they come out of Egypt, and then they're free, and then the armies followed them. The Egyptian armies followed them and trapped them at the sea, and then God parted the waters, and they go through. And the armies were, the Egyptian armies were swallowed up, and, the, and God's people were through. They ended up going to Mount Sinai. This is where you hear the stories, Ten Commandments. They built the Ark of the Covenant. The tabernacle was there. And then I'm going to read, you're in Numbers, I said 13, we're going to start in 10, but we're going to spend most of the time in 13. In Numbers 10, in the second year, in the second month, in the 20th day, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle. It was a cloud that was just resting over the tabernacle. The cloud lifted over the tabernacle of testimony. And the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran, and they set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. <clears throat> the, the cloud was a guide for them, and it sat there over the tabernacle, and then it moved, and it was moving towards the promised land. It was time. They had been told that God was going to rescue them, and they were going to go to the promised land, the land that you hear flowing with milk and honey. And so it was time for them to move. Difficult travel. They've been living in the desert, hard conditions. Probably took them about two months to make this journey. It's a tough journey. If you do research on this, and people that have walked it and know it, it's a tough journey, and the people are grumbling. They've been grumbling for a while, but the people are grumbling even to the point where they wish they were slaves again. 
you can believe that. That's how bad they think that. They wish they were slaves again, but they're heading to the promised land, the land that had promised them a long time ago. And if you had a hand in Genesis 13, we're going to read back to where the first promise of this land came to Abraham, who was at this point Abram. In Genesis 13, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent, came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, which are Hebron, and there they built the altar to the Lord. Abram is standing in the very land that the Israelites, God's people, are moving towards. This was the land that was given to them. And now it's time for the people to claim their inheritance. This is what has belonged to them. It's been promised to them, way back to Abram. Now we're back to Numbers 13. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses, we're in, right at the beginning of the chapter. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, there were 12 tribes, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness to Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So each head of the tribe, heads of the tribe, they're going to get together and they're going to go into this land, spy out this land. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Geb, go up into the hill country, see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or their strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land back. This was the time of season for first ripe grapes. So they traveled from, these men went, and they, these 12, they went and they traveled from the southern point to the top, to the northern point. It's about 250 miles one way. So they're going to go about 500 miles. They're going to do it in 40 days. My superior math skills get that at about 12 and a half miles a day on average. I used a calculator. That's a lot of miles per day. And I always thought when I read this story, they're spies, like they're, they're, they're crawling on the ground and they're lurking in the shadows. And that's not what they were doing. They were, they were just wa they were walking through the land. They were visitors in the land. They were, just, they were going through the land, checking these cities. They were going town to town, checking these people, taking notes of this stuff, texting it back to their feet. No, they weren't. They were just walking through. They were just checking things out. <coughs> but... Uh, I think this is neat that they're, they're in the land of their patriarchs. The land where Abram was told, this is your land, where their ancestors were buried. They would have known that. They were back on their ground. It should have felt like this is ours. This is home. And, and they should have been reminded many times, this is God's promise. This is where we should be. They knew where they were, and they knew the history of the land as they traveled it. And then after 40 days, they return with the report. Could you imagine seeing them coming in the distance, these 12 men? They're back. They're back. You would have gathered everybody. You would have walked and told everybody, hey, they're here. They're here. Come on, let's go. Let's hear this. And they gathered around. As soon as they could get to them, they probably met them. 
And here comes the report from these 12 men. We're in Numbers 13. We're going to pick up in verse 26. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. That most of the reading you see, they had a, so much fruit, they had a pole between one guy and another. They just racked on this pole. <clears throat> so they brought back a lot of fruit. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, and they're very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. That's the giants that you hear about. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites, they dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. And if there's any confusion that they're in the right land, way back, way back in all, on some of the other times that God promises this land, he names those people. This was an accurate report. Twelve spies saw the same thing. They weren't disagreeing on this. The fortified cities, the giants, they weren't disagreeing on that. But their response is different. Two spies believed they could take the land. Caleb, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb said in verse 30, Let us go up at once and occupy it, <clears throat> for we are well able to overcome it. But the other ten jumped in right away. The men who had gone up to them and said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And if you study the story further, they go on to make a false report. They make up stuff beyond this to sell their case and to convince the people. They're convincing the people not to proceed. My first thought when I read this, maybe it's your first thought, is would I be one of the ten or would I be one of the two? I'll let you think about that for a little bit. Would you be one of the ten or one of the two? Another thought reading this is why send spies? I think I've been asked that. Why spend spies? God's already promised them this land. What are the reasons for even sending spies? Because this is not a should we go or should we not go mission. That wasn't the point of this. It wasn't, even though he was saying, check out the land or their, what their cities are like, this was not a come back and let us know if we should. <clears throat> God had reminded him over and over, it's their land. He had promised them this is their land. It's a great land, flowing with milk and honey. It's just a prosperous land. It's a fertile land. But this is going to be a major military event, and they needed good intelligence to develop a strategy. God's promise did not eliminate the need for responsible action, and so he sent them to understand the land. Also, 12 spies, one of each tribe. That was supposed to be a point of unity. They were leaders in their tribes. They were supposed to come back united, ready to march forward in faith, but that was not, that was not the case. They were unified in their report. The land was fertile. It was prosperous. The people were powerful. Their cities were fortified. Archaeological findings suggest the walls of these fortified cities were 30 to 50 feet high. They were 15 feet thick. To this, they all agreed. Where they differed was in their response. Ten of them focused on the problem, and two of them focused on God, Caleb and Joshua. So let's look at the ten versus the two, how they were different. Then focused on the opposition, the situation, the fear of failure, the fear of death. They focused on what they can't do. They focused on their obstacles. They focused on their inadequacies. It was all about what they couldn't do. Two men saw the same thing. 
Their focus was not on what they can't do, but what God would certainly do. They too were inadequate, but listen to this. God steps in at the end of our abilities to complete the things he has called us to do. When God's called us to do something, he knows what we can't do without him. He calls us to do things that he has to come in and take us beyond our abilities and to finish what we are called to do. God steps in at the end of our abilities to complete the things he has called us to do. There's nothing wrong with us recognizing what we can't do. We all know what we're capable of. We all know our limitations. I know some of your limitations. We've all got limitations. I don't want to name any. I don't want to name anything. But we all have limitations. We all have weaknesses, strengths, weaknesses. As I meet with people about serve assessment, we always go over strengths and weaknesses, and we always talk about how we need each other. Your strength is my weakness. And together, our body, the body of Christ here, We have all the gifts. We have the personalities, and we are stronger together and united. But there's nothing wrong with seeing what we can't do and we can do. But is there a limit to what God can do when he has called us to move and when he has called us to action? Let's make this a little more personal. What is your promised land? What has God called on you to do? Something that goes beyond your abilities takes you out of your comfort zone? What's something we have said no to? Have we let fear get between us and God? Or fear between us and where God is leading? Are we not sure what God has called us to do because we have too many layers of stuff in front of us, too many layers of busyness in our lives that we can't even recognize a prompt from the Holy Spirit? We don't even know what our promised land is. The more we maintain an intimate relationship with God, the more we will know our call to promised land moments in each of our days. I really believe if we connect with God daily, he's got promised land stuff for us every day. Two said yes to God's promise, and ten said no. One scholar puts it this way. Out of the vast crowd of only four people, Moses and Aaron being the other two, Out of the vast crowd of only four people acknowledged the importance of seeking God's mind and trusting his word. The rest, tortured by uncertainty, plagued with inadequacy, paralyzed by fear, refused to press on with their journey. So I ask, would you have been one of the ten or one of the two? I'll answer for myself. I would have been one of the two. I mean, come on, that's just easy. I mean, how can't they have faith to press on? The things they've seen, the Red Sea alone would have been enough for me. I'm, I'm lying. I'm wrong. I'm sadly, I, I would have, truthfully, would have been real easy to be in the ten, to recognize the problems, to focus on the walls, to focus on the giants to forget what God has promised, to not see where faith in God can take me. And I might have been, I would like to think I wouldn't, but I probably would have been one of the ten. It would have been easy to have been caught up in the problems and plagued by fear, because fear is easier than faith. Fear is built into us. You, You can see it in the youngest of children. Fear is built into who we are. It's just easy that way, but faith... Faith, that takes work. You have to understand God. You have to know God. You have to connect with God. Faith is harder. 
Another scholar says, there may be times when, like them, we are genuinely fearful about the way ahead. Some have discovered that they are seriously unwell or have heard that someone they love has a terminal illness. Security at work is threatened. Redundancy and unemployment become a grim probability. What seemed a reasonable and tranquil and secure life is suddenly tossed into an agonizing turmoil. How does the believer react to such a traumatic and unwelcome change of circumstances? The historical count in Numbers is here to give us hope. Caleb and Joshua focused on the promise of God and what God has already done. Look back at your life and see how, how God has a hand in things. You know, we had a baptism service a couple weeks ago, and this is the first thing I thought of. People, person after person after person, going over their journey of how God didn't let go, how God kept showing up, waiting for them to say, yes, I'm in. And we so oftentimes say no, we say no, but then we say yes. And it was great to hear the testimonies there and the journey that some have been on and some of you have been on. And we can look back in your lives, even think back now to your lives and where, where God has not let go, where God has not given up where you think God could have given up, where God has looked out for you and protected you. Have you ever thanked God for protecting you and looking out for you in ways that you don't even know? He's probably done that. When you look back at your life and you see what God has done, that's what Caleb and Joshua were doing. We remember what God has done for us. How can we not have faith? How can we not have confidence in this God? Where have you seen his sovereign guidance, his unchanging presence in your life? We too can point to abundant clusters of fruit in our lives to remind us of his promises and what he has done. But this last part here is interesting to me. Don't, I call it, don't leave out the promises. I'm going to read you some scriptures here, and we're going to note the similarities. In Genesis 13, the Lord said to Abram, and you, we've read this before, after the Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes, look to the place where you are, north, south, east, west, and all the land you see, I will give to you and to your offspring. There's a promise right there. You're looking for the promises. God said, I will give to you. In Exodus 3.8, the Lord speaking to Moses, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. There's a promise. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to take them to this broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. In that scripture, he names them. Exodus 3.17, he's still speaking to Moses, and he, God says, I promise words i promise i will bring you up out of that affliction of egypt to the land of the canaanites hittites amorites Perizzites, hivites jebusites a land flowing with milk and honey exodus 13 5 moses is talking to the people and when the lord brings so moses is talking to god on god's behalf to the people now let's see how he says it and when the lord brings you into the land of canaan the hittites the amorites hivites jebusites which he swore to your fathers there's the promise again I give to you a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, 
you and all the people whom you have brought out of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to your offspring I will give it. Swore a promise. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. One more in Leviticus. But I have said to you, you shall inherit the land, and I will give it to you to possess the land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. The promise, if you see, the promise is always with the description. The land flowing with milk and honey. The land of Canaan, it's always there. The promise is always there. It's connected before or after. The promise is always there. But look in Numbers 13. Well, who forgets promises? If somebody promises you something, do you remember it? Because my kids don't forget it. It could be, I promise you, Joe, I promise you, you can have Pop next week on Sunday, and he will remind me all week, Dad, I get Pop on Sunday. You promise, right? We'll make promises like that. Okay, yes, I I don't even say I promise, but it turns into a promise? I don't know. You can have candy later, and they'll remind me. They don't just say, I can have candy now. I can have candy now. You promise. (laughs) Kind of like, aha, you're locked in. When somebody promises you something, you, you include the promise. The promise is there. I think this is very interesting in Numbers 13. This is back in Numbers 13 where we've read. This is verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and Aaron, all the congregation. Remember, all the people are gathered around. <clears throat> they gathered all the people of the wilderness, Aaron and Kadesh. They brought back the word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And here's what they told them. We came into the land which you sent. Here's the first part. It flows with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. And the next part is, however, here's all the reasons why we can't do it. They completely left out the promise. The promise is not there. There's no surprise that they didn't think they could do it. They've lost sight of the promise. It's gone. How hard it would have been to say we can't do it had they said, we came to the land you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. This is certainly the land that God has promised us. However, we can't do it. That's a little harder statement to say. They've lost the promise. They lost sight of it. And because they took their eyes off the promise, their eyes moved to their inadequacies. Their eyes moved to the fears. Their eyes moved to their obstructions. To their, obst- to their obstacles. Everything in their way. When your eyes aren't on the promise, the things of the world are in front of us. And our natural fears take over. Are you tortured with fear at times? We all are at times. With uncertainty? Are you standing on the promises of God? Do you know the promises of God? You can do a Google search and have a field day with that. There are some that say there's thousands of promises of God. You can find lists and posters you can put all over your wall of the promises of God that we need to know every day. We need that daily connection with God for many reasons. But one reason we need the daily connection with God through prayer and through our Bible is to know the promises of God. What has he said? What has he promised that we can bank on, that we can rely on? 
that can steer us away from fear and uncertainty, that can get our focus off our inadequacies and on what he can do through us. We need to know the promises of God. Psalm 13, 5, I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Just meditate on that, God's steadfast love, what that means, what that means for you and me. In Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a promise we need to have right there. We need that promise. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us, it did not know him. Just meditate on what it means to be a children of God. We all have different upbringings. We've all had different experiences, but we've all had imperfect parents. But God is not the imperfect parent. To say that we are children of God, he has chose us to be his child. There's an inheritance. There's a love there. It's an unconditional love. There's so much there in that verse, in that promise that we can meditate on that will keep us away from fear and inadequacies. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. What can we fear? 1 Peter 5.7, Cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. He takes time out for you. He's not too busy to care for you. Cast your anxieties on him. He doesn't mean for us to be anxious. He doesn't mean for us to be stressed. Cast your anxieties on him. Focus on him. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. We all need that at times. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may not be able that you may be able to endure it. More promises. If you're in your Bible, if you're reading, you're connecting with God, the Holy Spirit is right there to throw these promises to you when you need these things. Psalm sixteen, eight and nine, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Psalm 54, 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. The Bible is full of promises that are right there for us. And I pray that we're not like the ten. And we forget the promises, and we focus on the problems. We forget the promises, and we look at our inadequacies. We forget the promises, and we know the things I can't do, and we lose self-confidence, and we feel alone. Focus on the promises of God. Don't neglect the promises of God. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that from this story, we, this historical account here, that we find hope. That we find hope that you 
you have promised us all these things that I've read and more. You're our hope. You're our salvation. Your steadfast love is hard for me to even comprehend. I'm thankful that you're our strength. You promised to grant us wisdom. And I still just can't fathom that you call me your child. And that you love me like a child. Thankful that you protect, you provide all the provisions for us. You've provided for us. I pray that we don't neglect our past and the ways and the journey that you have brought us on. And I pray that we can look on that and we can count on your promises and we can look forward to our future and we can be confident in times of turmoil, in times of blessing. I thank you, Lord, as we go. I pray that we focus on your promises today. You would bring them to mind this week. In Jesus' name, amen. There are people, if you want to pray up here up front, but as you go, May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and, and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. You're dismissed.